<laughs> hey, I'm proud of everybody because we had a lead, we relinquished the lead, and we brought ourselves back in one freaking game. That's a freaking NFL win. How about those boys in blue? Let's go. I'll tell you what, the heart on this team is unlike I've ever seen before, man. I learned a long time ago, Pro Football Talk Live presented by Google Pixel Monday edition, the Monday after week four. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio here with you on Peacock, Sirius XM 85 and tape delayed on Sky Sports NFL. Also tape delayed wherever you get your podcasts. Hello to our podcast audience. Hello to everybody. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is. I can't believe it's already week four because we live our lives in that I can't believe bubble. I can't believe it's February. I can't believe it's June. I can't believe it's four weeks of the season. I can't believe it's not butter. I mean, but it really is just kind of rocketing by. It really, and it always does, but it is again. So we observe the obvious time is rocketing by and we are another Week four, Monday after, closer to death, I suppose. Good morning, Miles. Uh, hey, you took the words right out of my mouth, Mike. That's exactly where we are. Hey, we're a quarter through the season. That's what the coaches and players always used to say when it was 16 games. I'll still say it because even though it's 17 games, it, you still get four of them and you start to figure out who's good and who's not despite the records. So I, I feel good about where we're at and who is good and who is not, at least today. And I will probably be wrong in two weeks. Well, that's the thing. Every time you think you have, you have it all figured out, you learn that you don't. As a fan, yeah. <laughs> it's very exciting. As somebody who people think should know what you're talking about and should have an idea yeah. of what's really going on, that makes it harder to do the job and I mean this weekend when I look at the games I actually was not as pathetic as I've been in past weeks this year picking games things kind of worked out the way that maybe we thought right but so it, it it's starting to maybe maybe come into focus but even then it gets wobbly and and out of focus and and that's the fun of it because it really is true that any given Sunday one team can beat another team and we've seen comebacks there have been four games already this year where a team that was trailing by 17 or more points came back and won the game that's tied with like three other years for second most ever the nfl sends out these very obscure stats every sunday night and that's one of the obscure stats that sticks in my mind this week one thing that did not stick in my mind is the importance of me saying pft live presented by google pixel learn more at googlestore.com actually highlight that for me in the document that guides me loosely through the wilderness of these two hours, and I still forget to say it. So I'll say it again to make our friends at Google happy. PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Let's get to the games, and let's start with the Sunday night game, even though it was the only game. How about this, Miles? The only game so far in week four of the 15 that have been played, that was not a one-score game in the fourth quarter at some point. Every other game was a one-score game at some point in the fourth quarter. Let's start with the one that wasn't. 
because it was a, a statement for the Chiefs. Both teams coming off of losses in week three. Chiefs had one of those everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and they still almost beat the Colts, which gives you an idea of how good the Chiefs are. When you have a disastrous day and you still almost win the game, they they take care of business in Tampa Bay. And, you know, you could feel it coming right out of the gates. Fumble on the opening kickoff. Chiefs get it, score a touchdown. And it's just one of those... It's not Tampa's night. It was the Chiefs' night. The Bucks kept trying, but they never could really get back into it. And it was Patrick Mahomes reminding us that for all the talk of Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, any other great quarterback you want to throw into that conversation, he's probably still the best in the NFL when he's 100% healthy. It's kind of the LeBron James effect with Patrick Mahomes. You just expect it at a certain point because we've seen it since 2018, since he became a starter. And it's just play after play after play that Patrick Mahomes makes. And you just should not get tired of seeing him make tremendous plays. All right? We talk about Brady's longevity and his greatness. What you see with Patrick Mahomes on this play second and goal where he's running around and he's making something happen and he stops and then up he just kind of floats it into the end zone for Clyde Edwards Alaire there are not many players who have ever played the sport of football who can do what he did right there so I've always loved watching Patrick Mahomes I put this out there on Twitter it reminded me last night this particular play in 2018, when he was facing the San Francisco 49ers in week three, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt in that game. But there was a play in the second quarter where he's running around and he rolls to his right and then he finds somebody in the back of the end zone. And that's when I was like, oh, my gosh, this dude is serious. And it's just been those same kinds of plays year after year after year. And I, I love watching Patrick Mahomes. It was very clear they were a team on a mission last night. And like you said, it was clear from jump. I think that was a throw to Demarcus Robinson where he runs left, runs right, and does that mm-hmm. that sidearm rocket. Not just a sidearm, but it was a missile I to mean, Demarcus Robinson in the back of the end zone as Robinson was almost running out of bounds. I think that's the play. And he yeah. had so many of those in 2018. It was remarkable what we saw from him. And it does set a standard where you just expect it. You expect it all the time, and you get to a point where there's nothing that really amazes you, and then there's a play last night that reminds you this guy has in his bag of tricks things that we've never seen before from anyone. And and I don't know what happens to defensive players when – and we talked about this last week, Chris Sims and I, when we were – visiting the impact that Mahomes has had on the game and the way that young quarterbacks are throwing the ball from every arm angle and trying to emulate him. And there are no fundamentals. And his point is, Hey, once you can do all the other stuff, then you can work that in. And as long as you can do it well, they'll let you keep doing it. If you're not doing it well, they're not going to let you do it. But he's got an element of unintended showmanship because he's not out there trying to be flashy. But there's something about the way that he moves, the way that he's operating in relation to everyone else that makes it inherently thrilling. And it's intangible, it's undefinable, but it's there. And and that play last night that we showed a minute ago is the epitome of it. Because the whole time he's running around, 
you just sense something's going to happen. Something crazy's going to happen. Something crazy's going to happen. And then look at that. What the hell was that? And and there, there is that sense of the way he plays. And I don't think he's doing it on purpose. It's just the way he is. And that's what makes it so special. And it makes you expect it in a given moment. But I think the defenses get kind of trapped in that, oh, shit, here it comes mindset as well. Because you see them just kind of – it's almost like they're the Washington Generals and he's the Harlem Globetrotters. Like they're, like, like they're playing along with this bit where yeah. he's going to do this crazy thing and throw a bucket full of confetti at the end of the day. Like, and, 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 they, there's nothing they can, and there's nothing they can do about it. Well, you, you look at that specific play that we're talking about there, and it's not like Clyde Edwards-Alaire is not in the middle of all these defenders. Right? So it looks like Patrick Mahomes is getting to the line of scrimmage, and he's going to try to dive into the end zone for a touchdown or something like that. But then he stops, Edwards-Alaire pops open, and then boom, the ball just gets there. It, it's just one of those things that you can't really anticipate as a defender. So yeah, it probably is like the O word that you just said that we're not really supposed to say, here it comes. And then boom, it's just like, well, wait a minute. What was I supposed to do? Any other quarterback, I've got that defended. How in the world does this happen? What is this? And I think it also shows just how not healthy he was playing against the Buccaneers in that 2020 Super Bowl. I mean, my goodness, he just has the movement, the fluidity of the movement that he was just not able to perform, right? And that way, when he had the toe injury and also the offensive line was piss poor in that game as well. So, I mean, it's not like he was at 100%. Nobody's at 100% usually when you get to the Super Bowl. But I just feel like you get a healthy Patrick Mahomes, you get a good offensive line. This is the kind of thing that you can see against opponents. I think it is funny how Miles, you know, at an age where he actually is worried about continued employment, refrains from using the language that I use, but then breaks out of piss poor, which is good. I'm a bad influence, (laughs) and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of being a bad influence. Here's Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey from after the game last night talking about that crazy play that resulted in a touchback to Clyde Edwards, or touchdown, excuse me, to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Yeah, I mean, first off, I missed the wide open touchdown like the play before. Or I got like in between, like I want to lob it to him or just dot dot it on him. And so I was upset with myself there. Um, And then we rolled out, and they did a good job of kind of coming upfield, not not going on that dive play that we kind of always run with Burton. Um, But I I was able to use my speed to get a a little bit of speed to get around the edge there. Um, And then I was going to run for it, and they kind of flew around, and I I realized I wasn't going to make it, and I saw Clyde, and so I just kind of flicked it up to him. The NFL hasn't seen anything like Pat Mahomes, I promise you that. And you saw it today. He's the Houdini of our era, man. The guy just finds ways to make plays uh, throughout the game. I mean, big-time third downs, big-time goal line plays, um, just willing our team into the end zone, willing willing our team to win, and that's our ultimate leader, man. You made a great point, Miles, too, about the toe. That toe was so bad, he had surgery on it three days after the Super Bowl. And even then, the highlight package that we've played many times from Super Bowl 55, what he tried to do to will the Chiefs back into that game, some of the throws he made that, that weren't caught, some of the best incompletions in league history that yes. went off guys' face masks. He was doing everything he could. But you're right. He just lacked that extra little bit, that extra little edge that allowed him to do those things he does. And healthy with an offensive line that's better 
couldn't have been a whole lot worse than it was that day against the Buccaneers. And, and it had to mean a lot to the guys who were on that Chiefs team because there's some turnover, but the most yeah. important guys are still there. The most important guy is still there to go back to Tampa Bay against a team in that same building at night, same vibe, same feeling, and get the win, even though it doesn't rest away the Super Bowl trophy from the Buccaneers. It l- lays the foundation for what the Chiefs are trying to do this year, which is is go back and finally get their second Lombardi trophy. Third. Third well, second under Mahomes. Yeah. I mean, if the Rams sure. aren't going to count the just, one that they won in St. Louis, I'm not going to count the one, the one from 1969. That, that, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you do that either. They got two banners and they got two palm trees on their ring to represent the two Super Bowl trophies that they won. All right, I don't don't do that. It's too early for that out here. All right, Mike, don't don't bring in the Rams this conversation. We're talking about the Chiefs, and I would also say before you start talking, so I don't get cut off again. Here's the thing about this win last night. I thought that it would be more of the urgency that they felt from the week before with that Colts loss where the Chiefs absolutely beat themselves. Look, the Colts are not a good football team. They showed that yesterday. They've been showing that all season long, I think. So when you lose that game, it felt to me like, yes, the Chiefs are going to come out with some urgency. They are going to show that last week really was an aberration. And obviously, they got the opening kickoff, right? They they've caused a fumble on that, stole an extra possession, go up 7-0 within two plays. I mean, that tells you a lot about the way that this game is probably going to go. But then when they were talking after the game, it was like, yes, we did feel some of that stuff from losing that Super Bowl. So I thought it was interesting that even in a season and a half later, let's call it year and a half later, whatever it is, there's still some of that, mm, we really want some get back for that Super Bowl. And as you said, there's a lot of turnover, but the main guys, those key guys, the Mahomes of the world, right? The Travis Kelseys of the world, Clyde Edwards Alaire, he was there. Those guys still feel that they wanted something from that game. So it wasn't just the urgency that they felt from the Colts loss, it was an added element of losing that Super Bowl, too. And it was a perfect night, perfect week to have that game last week or last year excuse me the Sunday night week four game was Brady back in New England it just is a good stage in the season to find a game that has storylines and drama before we really start to get into the scrum that helps us figure out who's getting to the playoffs and who isn't it was just a great game to have and for the Buccaneers healthy right exactly and and for the Buccaneers uh you know as strong as they were defensively all year long 41 points the most allowed during Todd Bowles time as defensive coordinator and now head coach and they're going to have some soul searching to do at least their offense was able to generate more than 20 points but uh, the defense really fell apart and and that was one of the big questions coming in hey this defense could lock down the Chiefs it's like yeah yeah but you really haven't played a team with an offense like this and that's always the challenge it's easy to have a good defense when you're not facing Patrick Mahomes, then you're facing Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes and everything changes and your defense faces the kind of stress and pressure that it, it rarely sees. And the good news for the Buccaneers is they won't see it again until the Super Bowl. If both teams get there, the uh, Brady numbers last night, 52 passes thrown after he got banged up and 
you know, we'll have to watch the injury report again, although we've learned the far more reliable source of information as to Tom Brady's health and well-being is the Let's Go podcast on Monday night. Forget about the injury report. The injury report takes about four days to catch up to whatever he'll say to Jim Gray in what will be released tonight. But his arm was messed up. Blaine Gabbert was loosening up, as Melissa Stark pointed out last night on the broadcast. So, hey, when you're 45 and you get banged around like that, you're going to feel it more the next morning than if you're 25. That's just kind of the way it goes. And and Tom Brady's not immune to that. No matter how he looks, no matter how he throws, you still are 45. And you still need time to recover. And, and that's going to be an interesting one to watch, Miles, as the week unfolds. Because he did get... He got hit hard. You made that point. I mean, when was the last time we saw Tom Brady get hit like that? I, I, I can't remember him getting blasted like that. He, he usually is very adept at avoiding that kind of contact. He is, and that's part of what has made him so great is the way that he maneuvers in the pocket. He just does not usually take those kinds of hits where you're just seeing him flail about all the time. Like you don't, you just don't really see that from Tom Brady. Maybe that was a part of the deal with the devil that he made, and maybe it's starting to come a little bit loose. I don't really know. But when you see something like that, yeah, you just are kind of reminded that father time is undefeated. There's never been anybody who's ever played the game at this level at 45 years old. So at some point, it's going to start falling apart for Tom Brady. I don't necessarily know that it's yesterday is when we start seeing that. But when they can't run the ball at all, and when they basically just start refusing to run the football, and you have a guy who has thrown as many passes as he's thrown in Tom Brady's career. And he's still 45 years old, and he's just dropping back and firing that pill like he's 25. I don't know how sustainable that is. I really don't. And I understand that last year, Tom Brady led the league in completions. He set a record, didn't he, for completions, right? He's leading the league in throwing attempts. I just don't know that that's really the way that you want to play if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, they were trailing the entire time basically last night. So you have, when you're playing from behind, it makes things different. But if you're Tom Brady and you are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you're Todd Bowles and you're Byron Leftwich, you got to be thinking, man, I cannot get my, let this team get down like that and feel like we're still going to have great chances to win every week because if we can't run the football at all, Despite how much Tom Brady is using the TB12 method and pliability and all these different terms that he uses, it's not usually going to work out well, I don't think, if your quarterback is throwing that many times. As I told you last night, and I've said this before here, someone told me a few years ago that Brady's going to be able to throw like he does into his 50s. The thing to watch is his legs. When he can no longer Mm -hmm. get away from the hits and starts taking the hits, that's when the injuries will begin to pile up, and that's when he will say, to quote Danny Glover from the Lethal Weapon movies, I'm getting too old for this, and I won't say it again, but it's the word I said earlier that I shouldn't have said, and Lord, I apologize. By the way, the Buccaneers, who are now 2-2, two and two, have the 2-2 two and two Falcons next weekend, a game which suddenly becomes a little more interesting than it would have been eight days ago when the Falcons were 0-2 and, and the Bucks were 2-0, and oh, and then next Monday night, the Chiefs host the Raiders, who finally got their first win, as we saw in the opening of the show with Josh McDaniels celebrating the victory over the team, the Broncos, that fired him a decade ago. Raiders 1-3, and three, Chiefs 3-1. and one. So some divisional games for those two teams next week. And you mentioned that deal for the devil, with the devil, not for the devil. Hey, I'll tell you what, 
Because I've I've been joking about Tom Brady doing his deal with the devil for years. What whatever deal he did, he got a hell of a bargain. He got so much more than Homer Simpson getting a donut. He got it all in exchange. So he did a great negotiation with the devil when he did his deal with the devil. Because it's still paying off two decades later. And maybe that's why he's doing everything he can to live as long as he can, because that's when he's going to have to honor his end of it. Obviously, we're joking. So please, please, Tom or anyone else, Buccaneers PR staff, we're joking about Tom Brady doing a deal with the devil, even if he did. All right. The uh, Buffalo Bills may have done a deal with the devil yesterday when they're down 20-3 to in Baltimore. I, well, I, I saw this game. And, you know, we're watching nine at once. I don't know why there were nine in the one o'clock window and only three in the late afternoon window yesterday, but that's not my department. It's not my issue. But there were nine mm-hmm. at one o'clock, and I saw I've got the, the Brady Bunch configuration that NBC pipes down to the monitor that they put here that I can watch the games, and I see the score continuing to go the wrong way for the Bills, and I'm thinking they were broken last week by the Dolphins. Like they, one loss became two. That's one of Sims' lines. Don't let one loss become two. They had that game that they lost in Miami that they shouldn't have lost. Grossly outgained, grossly outpossessed, grossly outperformed the Dolphins and still lost the game. Uh, they they just walked into a hornet's nest in Baltimore and they find a way to turn it around and win the game. Twenty unanswered points to come away with a twenty-three twenty victory. And Miles. I think this is what's important to the Bills. They were 0-7 in one-score games, starting with week one last year. They need to show to themselves and everyone else that they can win a one-score game, that they can get off the mat, that they can find a way, if it's close late in the game, to emerge with a victory. 0-7 in one-score games, 14-1 in multiple-score games. So I think this helps the Bills because when you get to the playoffs, you're not going to be blowing people out. When you get to the playoffs, you're going to encounter adversity against good teams. When you get to the playoffs, you're going to have to find a way to reverse a day that doesn't feel like it's going your way. So I think the Bills may have learned some things about themselves and what they can do in that game yesterday that will help them as the season goes on and, most importantly, when the postseason arrives. Yeah, when you get to the postseason, you need to close out games when you're up and there are only 13 seconds left, even when you are facing Patrick Mahomes. And I think you're right. I mean, it does sort of say something about the Buffalo Bills that even though they hadn't won those close games, we really thought highly of them. I mean, obviously, we thought highly of them. Their quarterback is great. They have one of the best, for my money, the best receiver in football in Stefan Diggs. And so they have a great defense, too. They added Von Miller to that rush. So there were a lot of things that are working in Buffalo's favor. But right, when you go down 20-3, to three, even though the field conditions were god-awful yesterday because of Mother Nature, it makes you think, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? But the Bills were able to score, as you said, 20 unanswered points. They were able to get things done when they needed to. And the way they closed that game out was great because they did not allow the Ravens another chance to get back in the game. And when you're able to close out games like that, I think it says a lot about where you are as an offense and where you are in situational football. Situational football is so, so, so important, and it can be the difference between those close wins and those close losses. That's kind of what the problem was last year in the postseason when you only have 13 seconds and you still get uh, the, allow the Chiefs to tie the game and send you into overtime. 
and then you lose that game. So maybe they're becoming better situationally. And I think that says something about Sean McDermott and the maturity that he's shown as a head coach and the maturity of that offensive unit as a whole. I'm glad we didn't see Ken Dorsey have another temper tantrum. Well, no. Well, I, I wish we would have seen one, but I have a feeling the camera in his booth will never be activated again. They had one outside the, the booth. They had one Especially outside the booth yesterday. Just trained on they'll, 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 they'll cut the feed in the fourth quarter of a close game. But, you know, here's the thing. When you are kicking the crap out of everybody like the Bills were last year, you don't get a lot of reps in situational football. And when you are losing one-score games, your reps in situational football aren't working. So it's important. I think it's one of the reasons right. why the Patriots had been so great for so many years. They yeah. weren't blowing people out, except 2007 when they didn't win a Super Bowl, when they finally got themselves in a tough situational football moment with the Giants. But you, you, you need those, those close games. You need to learn how to manage in a stressful moment where everything is riding on it. And that was something that the Ravens failed to do. And I'm looking at this drive they had that culminated in the fateful fourth and goal from the two-yard line. They got the ball with 13.38 to go for, mm -hmm. on their own five. And that was after a Sam Martin punt put them 95 yards from pay dirt. 13.38 with 4.15 left. So they have the ball for over nine minutes in a tie game. Fourth and two, and they decide to go for it. Here's John Harbaugh. Now, obviously, spoiler alert, it didn't work because it was 2020 and the final score was 23-20. But here's John Harbaugh talking about the decision, and I'm sure we'll show the play as to what happened on fourth and two when the Ravens opted to go for the touchdown instead of taking the field goal. I felt like it gave us the best chance to win the game because – Seven, the worst that happens is if they go down the field and score, and I think we'll get them stopped, but if they go down the field and score a touchdown, the worst thing that can happen is that you're in overtime. But you kick a field goal there, now it's not a three-down game anymore. It's a four-down game. You're, you're putting them out there. You're putting your defense at a disadvantage because they've got four downs to convert all the way down the field and a chance to, again, score seven, and then you, you lose the game on a touchdown. So then the worst thing, the other thing, you think you're going to get the ball to the two-yard line. So I'm very confident in our defense Defense's ability to stop them down there with the ball on the two-yard line. So we got them backed up. If we don't get it, didn't turn out that way, unfortunately, and we lost the game. So hindsight, you could take the points. But if you look at it analytically, I understand why we did it. Well, and here's the thing about the analytics when you talk about fourth and goal on the two. Hey, if we don't get it, they got 98 yards to go. Unless we throw an interception in the end zone, which is what mm -hmm. they did. That, that's, the, that's the wrinkle in the assessment. If you give the ball to the Bills on the 20 versus the 2, that changes everything, and that's got to be part of the analysis. I don't know how they construct these mathematical models. I assume every team has its own way of doing it, but one of the factors that has to go into that is the possibility that you're going to have either a fumble that's recovered in the end zone, a fumble that goes out of the end zone and automatically becomes a touchback in the defense uh, in possession of the ball, the worst rule in football, or an interception like that one. So, you know, I've talked to smart coaches about this, um, and anyone that I talk to who's a coach is smarter than me. But yeah, the bottom line is it's not just the mathematics. It's what plays do we have at our disposal for this moment? Mm -hmm. What plays have we already used in the game in situations like this? 
Do we want to use another one of those that we've already used? Do we have others? How deep do we go on our list of plays we feel good about in this spot? And based upon everything we've seen today from this team, do we still feel as good about this play that we have locked and loaded for this situation? Or should we maybe not go with that play because they've fooled us in some way as to how they're defending us? There's so many factors that go into that. And that's where analytics meets the water's edge of real football. And, and again, analytics has a place. I don't need the analytics mafia on me on a Monday morning. I have not had coffee yet. But you can't just say it's not, it's not a video game. It's not a random outcome generator. When you are deciding to go for it in a spot like that, you have to have a play you feel good about based upon everything that you've seen from your offense and how it's executing that day, everything you've seen from the defense and how it's executing that day. Those are all factors. Hey, they're not stopping the run today. You know, well, well we've got this play ready for, for a goal line situation where we're going we're gonna to run around and we're going to pass it. Let's just run it up the middle. I, I mean, the, you have to, there's a flexibility. And this is all on the coach. Everything right. goes into this, and you make a decision like that, unless you're Nathaniel Hackett. So the, those are – I'm sorry, Nathaniel. I catch in strays. Whoa. As my, Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I already lost yesterday. <laughs> but but that, that's, why I, I, that's why I don't like taking analytics and turning it into some mathematical formula. The, it is a complicated study in human dynamics and human performance – that is all the culmination of everything you've seen in the 56 right. minutes of the game that had been played to that point. That gets ignored. It's too easy to just do the knee-jerk. Well, the analytics say you should go for it. It's far more complicated than that, Miles. That's my point. Well, and I think Harbaugh explained that pretty well, and then he, at the end, said, if you look at it analytically, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think that Harbaugh needs to justify any coaching decision that he makes based on what the numbers should be. He has enough experience and enough wins, and he's been with that team for so long that any coaching decision he makes, I feel like he can stand by it and, you know, anything that anybody else says be damned. It, it doesn't really matter. But I think the other thing he's talking about where he says, you know, I feel like that was the best chance for us to win the game. Three is more than zero. So... If you are trying to force the Bills into whatever, three is more than zero. And when there's only four minutes left in the game, if you want to talk about trusting your defense, that's another element of it to me. So when you, we think about the old saying, well, if you pass, there are three things that can happen and two of them are bad. That's what ended up happening. One of the two bad things that can happen, either it's an incomplete pass or it's intercepted, the ball got intercepted. And at that point, I don't know if the Ravens should run a better play. If there was something better in their gotta have it list that they have when uh, they go into a game or something, I, I don't know. But far be it for me to question whether or not they should have gone for it, especially when I'm talking about somebody is, who's as good of a head coach as Harbaugh. But yeah, he said hindsight, you take the points. But at the same time, I don't know, man. You're showing confidence in your team. They've gotten so many things on fourth down. I. I understand why he did it, and I don't need the numbers to explain that for me. Well, and you made a good point in there. Not that the rest of it was bad, but the one thing that resonates to me, he maybe didn't really trust his defense to keep 
the Bills from driving down the field and scoring right. a touchdown because their defense had been so god-awful. And just two weeks earlier, they gave up a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter. The defense has been suspect this year, so let's get seven and force them to match our seven uh, if they're going to extend the game into overtime. So I understand the thought process. I understand the analytics, but the caveat to the analytics is you may end up giving the other team the ball on the 20, and the real-world reality is how do you feel about your play? How do you feel about how it's going to be executed? How do you feel about what their defense is doing today? What in the first 56 minutes of the game may have changed whatever you were thinking going into the game? And then, you know, MVP candidate Lamar Jackson making an ill-advised throw. And I think we are still Mm -hmm. allowed to point out the times Lamar Jackson makes a mistake. I know the Lamar Jackson hype train is at full speed right now, but that's kind of on him. He shouldn't have made that throw. Uh He should not have made that throw. And I, I know that that it's not like you can throw it away and kick the field goal after that because it was fourth down. But that's 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 a very risky low percentage type of throw. I haven't seen the next gen stats on the completion percentage of that one, but it was probably closer to zero than a hundred. Uh, and and now you got a guy open, but it's just you're you're backpedaling and. And you waited a little while, and it was just enough time for Poyer to get over there and make the, the interception. Um, bigger picture, Miles, you know, this was a showdown between Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. And I think the problem is the rain, the elements kind of took away from it. It wasn't perfect laboratory conditions to go out and have a quarterback duel. Um, I, I don't draw any big conclusions about which guy's better right now. Lamar is still Lamar. Josh Allen is still Josh Allen. They're two different guys. They're two of the best Neither became noticeably better and neither became noticeably worse based upon just one game between the two of them. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and Mike, I mean, you mentioned it. The elements are there. I, I never thought I would feel this way as somebody who grew up in Cleveland. And, you know, we take pride in the stadiums on the lake. You got to deal with the elements and the wind and it snows and it's this and it's that. I think. The best way to watch football is in an environment like they have in Glendale, Arizona, or in Las Vegas. Controlled roof, you know, and grass. It's beautiful that way. It's the way football is really meant to be played, where you can really see everything that a quarterback can do, everything that a defense wants to do. You're not worried about the slippage. You're not worried about fumbles and different things like that. I I never really thought I would feel like this, but honestly, I think that – that's the best way to watch football because it shows us exactly what guys can do at their height of um, their powers. Right. And, and I don't know, it's just one of those weird things. So yeah, obviously elements are always going to be a part of football and I don't really think that they should take that away, but I wish that we could have seen that in an environment like Vegas or, or like they have in Arizona where you can really see those two dudes at the peak of their powers. So I don't know. I don't know that we're ever going to really see that when it's Baltimore or it's Buffalo, but that, that I would love to see that game in those conditions. That's another excellent point by you. Your brain works very well at 4.36 a.m. local time. <laughs> because hey, that's, that's why I'm and, here, man. <laughs> but but I, I've, got, I've got the perspective here because even though you were born in 1991, happy, slightly belated birthday, by the Thank way, um, the world did exist before then. And when I was a kid in the early 70s, like, football was boring then. It was still exciting, 
But compared to how it is today, it was boring. It was three yards in a cloud of dust up. It was right. it was, you know, a bunch of running and and low scoring games. So when you did introduce rain, mud, snow, it made it less boring. Mm-hmm. Now, now when you've got a game that's premised on precision passing and speed and timing, the elements take away from the game. The elements enhanced the game in the 70s because it's like, all this running really sucks. How can we make it more interesting? Let's have them slipping all over the place. That'll make it more interesting. But right. but no, now you don't want that. So you're right. I mean, grass field in a controlled environment where you can open a roof like you can in Glendale, that's the best way to do it. And uh, yeah. uh, and, and look, I, I know that what well, we saw John Harbaugh make the comments last week. They were they were actually made in the aftermath of the week one game at MetLife mm-hmm. Stadium where the Ravens beat the Jets. He lost a couple of guys for the season. He talked about how these games should all be played on grass, the best possible surfaces. Why aren't that? I mean, something I've been saying for years, why aren't you making the investment in having the best possible conditions for these players who are making tens of millions of dollars, some of them? Yep. But there's a lot of money that's invested in this, even if you don't care about them as human beings. How do you not care about them as major investments of your money? And Harbaugh made that point. It's a player's game. We spent all this money. We want to take care of these guys. Why don't we have the best possible fields and best possible playing surfaces? So, you know, look, it's hard to do it in a dome, especially when the dome's already been built and you don't have the apparatus to slide in a grass field. And I don't know that you can retrofit a dome stadium to do that. But all these outdoor stadiums should have grass. As many possible yes. venues as possible should have grass. And uh, yes. uh, that was a point that Harbaugh made. Harbaugh's made some good points lately, whether it's grass fields, the stuff he said on Friday about Tua Tonga-Vailoa and what he witnessed. I mean, it was a very human reflection and reaction that meshed with what the rest of us saw Sunday and Thursday. You know, he's been doing it for a long time. He's been doing it well. He diver- deserves some deference, as you said. But I think he brings a humanity to coaching that a lot of guys either don't have or they don't know how to access because they're too worried about winning games. You know, your humanity doesn't matter if you're not winning because you're going to get fired. He's done enough. He's got enough of a track record, and he's experienced enough where he can be real and authentic and speak his mind and not worry about what it may mean for his career. Two things uh, about that. A, I think you're absolutely right when it comes to Harbaugh and the cachet that he's got. It's sort of like Greg Popovich in some ways. And obviously Harbaugh doesn't have as many rings as Popovich. And this is the second NBA analogy that I've made this morning, which is a little bit weird. But he has the ability to say exactly what's on his mind and use those words and his platform to raise awareness or whatever it happens to be about whatever subject he wants to talk about. And I think when you have a head coach that has been there for that long, that's one of the things you can do. Mike Tomlin has that same sort of ability with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And those are two teams in the AFC North. And it's why those two teams are so competitive every year, but about the turf. And I understand that it is different, uh, difficult to retrofit things and all of that. But you look at European soccer players, they will not play on turf fields. That field that they've got over there at Tottenham Stadium, where they play NFL games, 
it is it is a grass field for soccer and then they raise up whatever turf they've got under there for the nfl game when the the world cup comes to america they ain't playing on turf fields they're gonna have to put grass at sofi stadium in order to play those world cup games so if they can do that for this i believe that the nfl and all of its teams should be making the investments for people to play on grass every single week. It is possible, and I think it's worth the investment because these players are worth it because they are risking their careers and their livelihoods every single week. I'd love to be privy to some of the conversations when the owner is meeting with the business executives and they bring in the 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 slideshow and the documentation and the estimates of what it would cost to have a grass fit. I'd love to hear what the owner is saying. I'd love to hear some of the harumphing that goes on as they basically say, no way in hell, we're not going to spend that money. Right. But, but meanwhile, can you give me the update on the $300 million yacht that is going to be delivered to me in three months? I really want to know whether or not they got the marble, you know, not not the usual really good marble, but the extra special marble that they have to climb to the top of a mountain and bring it down on the backs of donkeys <laughs> and, you know, some r- ridiculous stuff like that. Like, they'll do that. They'll do that for themselves. But God forbid we try to get a grass field. Boy, I'm getting in trouble today. I don't care, though. I really don't care. Because there needs to be pressure put on the people who are the guardians of the game, the stewards of the game. And it's not enough. I was talking to somebody about this over the weekend. This is one of the things that drives me crazy about the NFL. When it's time to buy a team, there's one factor that matters. Do you have the most money to offer of all the interested bidders? It doesn't matter whether you know anything about football. It doesn't matter whether you care about football. It doesn't matter whether you care about the players. It doesn't matter whether you're going to invest your money wisely in having a competitive team under the safest possible conditions for any players on your roster. None of that matters. What gets you a seat at the table with the other billionaires is do you have enough money to pay the highest possible price for the team that's for sale? That's all that matters. Now, you can't be a complete and total jerk either. They won't let you in if you're, you know, there. I well, mean, there are rich guys or supposedly rich guys who have tried to get into the past who didn't. And we may all be better off if they had. But that's a different point altogether. Um, you would. Uh, but the point is this, Miles. There is a point here somewhere. They st- and 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 this is we're going to talk about the Tua situation later in the show. But I, I had these conversations from the perspective of, hey, Stephen Ross is suspended. So who the hell's running the show in Miami while they're making these decisions last week? If anybody even bothered to sit down and decide, should Tua be playing on Thursday night? The owner's suspended. The ship has no captain. And, I mean, it just it gets back to my point that, yeah, it's great to have a really rich person come in and buy the team and give the really rich person who's selling the team a whole lot of money in the transaction. Mm-hmm. But, boy, it would be nice to have people running these teams who really care about the game, who really care about the players, who care more about the quality of their home field than the quality of the deck on their super yacht. That's all I'm saying. And there are owners who do. And John Harbaugh has been very clear that when the players went to him and then went to Steve Bishotti and said, hey, we would like to play on grass. Bishotti said, great, we'll do it. 
because the Ravens did have turf in that field for years. And then they put grass back on it because it is better for the health and safety of the players. And so Harbaugh was talking about it. You see what they do in Pittsburgh, what they do with Baltimore, what they do with Cleveland. Cincinnati is the only team in the AFC North that does not have that grass field. So this is something again, if the European football players are going to say we're not playing on that and they can make the investments to do this at SoFi Stadium, which just hosted a Super Bowl, but in whatever year that they the World Cup is coming to America, 2026, right? They're going to play yes. those games on grass at SoFi Stadium. I think the NFL players also deserve to have grass wherever they are playing football games. That's it. I know they're telling me we have to take a break, but I have to make two very quick points. One, I okay. wish I could have seen the the look on Mike Brown's face when they told him how much it would cost to put a, a great <clears throat> grass field at Paul Brown Stadium. And the reaction would have been, what they used to play on cement with a thin layer of green carpet over top of it, so why are they complaining? Number two, number two, um, as to Bishotti, and, and look, I, I know that it's the general manager who makes these calls and the team doctors involved, but I guarantee you, if the Ravens dealt last week with the issues that the Dolphins were dealing with, Steve Bashotti would have asked enough questions internally to mm. cause someone like GM Eric DeCosta to say, maybe this isn't the right thing to do mm. to mm. let this kid play on Thursday night mm. after what we saw on Sunday. And you don't have to come out and say it, but you just raise enough questions. That's, that's the difference between an owner who gives a crap and an owner who just views this as an investment, as a vanity mm. project, as a toy as as something to be, become famous or notorious about, th- that's not good. And uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there is no test for are you going to be a good owner? Are you going to be good for the fans? Are you going to be good for the players? Are you going to be good for the game? Let's take a break. Big Sunday for rookie quarterbacks. We'll break that down when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. 